Well, good morning. It's good to be with you. It's really good to see you and uh, to be back. And uh, and uh, real thankful for my church family and your prayers and your support the last few weeks and uh, for some things going on. I invite you to open your Bible with me this morning to First Timothy as we continue to work through uh, this letter. And uh, we'll pick up in chapter 2 this morning. Paul is writing to Timothy, a young pastor who is uh, pastoring his first church in the city of Ephesus. Uh, it was a church that had some issues, and so he as a young man uh, had his, uh, his work cut out for him. And so Paul writes to him this letter for the purpose of providing some instruction. Uh, this is how things, he says, are to be done in the church. If you have uh, your Bible open to 1 Timothy. Look at chapter 3 with me. It's kind of a, kind of summarizes this letter in verses 14 and 15. Timothy, these things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. And so uh, providing this instruction on this is how things are to be done in the church. And so as we've gone through this, you remember the first thing that Paul says is, Timothy, pay attention to doctrine. Pay attention to what you are preaching and what you are teaching as well as to what others are preaching and teaching in the church. Paul understood that the, the word and the ministry of the word is the backbone to a healthy church. And so how we live, how we worship, how we witness, how we serve, this doctrine, scripture is to govern all of that. And so he writes for instruction. He also writes to give Timothy some encouragement. He tells him to remember to wage the good warfare. Remember the battle is the Lord's. And Timothy, you are to stay faithful and obedient to God's call, and he uses phrases like fight the good fight, keep the charge entrusted to you. He says, stay put, remain, don't quit, don't get discouraged, stay in the battle. And Timothy was very fortunate to have been provided a good example of all of this from the Apostle Paul. Paul modeled all of this to Timothy's faithfulness and obedience to the Lord. I want you to also notice in chapter 1, verse 16, we saw this a few weeks ago, that Paul's life and ministry served as a pattern to Timothy. He says, a pattern, Timothy, to you, my life has been that way, as well as to those who are going to believe in the future. And then finally, we see in verse 17 of chapter 1, it's really the driving motivation for all of this. He says, it's all for the king. He says, to the king, King Jesus, the eternal immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever in the church. And so that's what motivates, that's what drives. Therefore, read with me what Paul says next, starting in chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, 
that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. As a choir just sang, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all, for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ, and I'm not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. And and as I was preparing verse 8, I wasn't sure whether to use and include verse 8 in today's text or to include it in the next week's text as he gets into talking about men and women. But I, would, I just want to point out that this call to prayer that Paul is issuing to Timothy, uh, one of the things he says in verse 8, and I'll just throw this out and we'll look at this in more detail next Sunday, but he calls for men in the church to be leading in prayer. So just for you to think about between next week, and I'll flesh that out a little bit more. But evidently they weren't doing this. That's why Paul singles them out. Men everywhere ought to be lifting holy hands and leading the body of Christ, the people of God, in the ministry of prayer. Pray with me. Almighty God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, we give you honor and thanks for your presence today and desire for you to receive glory. By your word, we pray for the Holy Spirit to speak to us. And as we listen, we ask that you would give us ears to hear your voice and wills moved by faith and holy obedience. And all of it for your glory, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let me ask you this morning, how satisfied are you with your prayer life? How satisfied are you with your prayer life? On a scale of 1 to 10, 1 representing very dissatisfied and 10 representing extremely satisfied, how would you rate yourself? Perhaps there have been seasons in your life when your response to that question might have varied. Several years ago, I came across something by the Ellison Group. They a research group who were hired by Lifeway, and they interviewed 860 Southern Baptist pastors regarding their prayer lives, and this is what they discovered. Only 16% of pastors said they were very satisfied with their prayer lives. 47% responded that they were somewhat satisfied. 32% noted they were somewhat dissatisfied, and 7% said they were very dissatisfied. The research also went on to reveal that younger pastors under the age of 45 were the most dissatisfied, and the older pastors, 60 years of age and older, were the most satisfied. So the older guys were more satisfied with their prayer lives than the younger guys. They didn't explain why that was, but I have a theory. <laughs> so I'm going to share it with you. Why were older pastors more satisfied with their prayer lives? It could be the same could be said of just all of us as Christians in general. 
Well, one possibility is the older guys were more lethargic and dry and coasting and plodding along and had lost their passion and were just kind of going through the motions. That's one possibility, which could be true of all of us. Or, and this is what I like to think, the older ones had finally figured out that apart from God and who he is and what he says, there was really no hope for any spiritual transformation. Apart from God and who he is and spending time with him, nothing else really got accomplished and so they had learned to pray more. The fact is our lives, our ministries, our churches, without God, without his power, without the anointing of the Holy Spirit, we're just going to go through the motions without any hope of real lasting change in life. You remember Jesus in John 15 said to his disciples, abide in me for apart from me what? You can do nothing. That's John 15. And later on, he went on to say regarding that, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, do you remember what he said next? You, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you will ask, then you will pray and what you desire and it shall be done for you for by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit demonstrating you are my disciples. And so abiding in Christ, abiding in his word and spending time with him in prayer is where our power lies, where our strength comes from, where transformation occurs. It all occurs through being in Christ, in his word and in prayer. And so Timothy, Paul says, fight the good fight, guard it. Pay attention to your preaching, to your teaching, and to that of others. Pay attention to doctrine. Earnestly contend for the faith and for Scripture. And pray and make prayer a priority. Paul knew the heart of any healthy church must be established on the ministry of God's Word and on the ministry of prayer. Sounds like what happened in Acts chapter 6. You remember as the church started growing, and there was a lot of things pulling at the apostles, and they said, hey, we need to select some leaders, some other servants in the church to take care of some matters so that we can stay devoted to what? The ministry, the word, and prayer. The word and prayer. I was thinking this week about the ministry and of the word and prayer, and I started thinking about us as a church family, and one of the things I thought about was the Bible drill ministry. It's pretty fantastic. Establishing at an early age the word of God in the hearts and minds of our kids, hiding God's word in their heart. The psalmist says that they might not sin against God. And I just want to encourage you moms and dads to keep Bible drill a priority for your kids. Nothing wrong with baseball, nothing wrong with soccer, and basketball, and volleyball, and ballet, and piano lessons, and go on and on. That's all good stuff, but it's all to be secondary. Amen? Amen. Secondary to the ministry of the Word. Keep them. I just want to encourage you to take advantage of that. And then I started thinking about Sunday school. And all of our Sunday school teachers, for all ages, may God bless you. As you study each week and pre prepare to teach and to minister the word, and, and I would like to also 
take a minute to urge some more of you, especially as adults, to sincerely pray and say yes to the Lord Jesus and make a commitment with your life to teach, to teach the word. Some of you in this church could have much greater impact for the kingdom of God if you'd make a commitment to teach. And there's some of you here who have taught in years past and maybe you're tired and some things in your life changed and so you took a, took a break. I want to encourage you to get back into ministering the word. We, we need more Sunday school teachers. We are getting ready to start another class and because of a need, which I don't have time to explain, and need some mature couple that would be willing to say, God, use me to teach and to, and to lead this class. Paul tells Timothy to keep the ministry of the word of priority at the heart of any healthy church's doctrine. He then urges church discipline. Jack, I thought, did a great job last Sunday talking about church doctrine for believers to be in community, to be connected in their lives, with each other, holding one another accountable in love. That is essential to church health. Essential to church health, where we're in relationships, accountable to each other, holding one another accountable to the Word of God. This message this morning is one of the most foundational, one of the most basics of church life, and it is the priority of prayer. I want you to notice in the verse, very first verse, Paul urges... He urges, he exhorts prayer. And he goes on in verse 3 and says, for this, he's referring to prayer, prayer is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. And so I want to go through this text and I want to raise three questions with you this morning. From the text, first, what to pray? Second, why pray? And third, how to pray? What to pray? Why pray? and how to pray all from this text. And so one of the things that all of us could and should do well as members of the body of Christ, all of us could excel in the work of prayer. Prayer is one of the church basics. So sound doctrine, church discipline, and the ministry of prayer. And so look with me from verses one and two, consider with me what to pray, what to pray. Paul is demanding here, right at the beginning, all kinds of prayer be made for all kinds of people. Verse 1, there is a sense of urgency, a priority. You know it's a priority because he says, first of all. Now, you know that if your mother or your dad is a young person while you were growing up, if they said, now I have some things for you to do, and first of all, I want you to do this, that conveys a priority. And so that's what Paul is urging, priority. First of all, I want to urge you, Timothy and the church, into the work of prayer. It is, he's wanting the church to adopt a spiritual disposition where the necessity of prayer takes priority. The church cannot be lackadaisical or hit and miss when it comes to prayer. Paul's message is Timothy, the church cannot be apathetic when it comes to prayer. And he tells Timothy to set the example, to lead. He was to be a man of prayer. He was to pray for other people, and he was to pray with other people. 
Let me ask you, how would you describe your time alone with God? How satisfied are you with the work of prayer in your life? Many of you know that, think about this, uh, been out of town the last couple of weeks attending to a family matter. And while away, God kept impressing upon me everything that was trying to be accomplished and resolved in Michigan needed to be done through prayer. It all needed to be given to God in prayer for his glory and for the good of all involved. And that decision with everyone involved to be bathed in prayer for outcomes to be achieved in prayer. And so, last year we spent a lot of time praying for myself, praying for my family, praying with my family, for God to be honored, for God to be glorified and all that was going on. I want to be faithful in prayer. What about you? I want to be faithful before the Lord in prayer. Mindy and I and were sharing with me this week that some, her and some other ladies in the church were studying the book of Nehemiah. And so she shared with me from chapter one how, and some of you know this, how Nehemiah, before he ever began to offer any service to the Lord, you remember to go back and to address the needs in Jerusalem? Before he ever went back, before he ever started even thinking about serving God and doing anything, the Bible says he spent four months in prayer and fasting before he ever lifted a finger. Why? Because he understood the priority of God, that God and God's power and God's wisdom and God's strength and God's intervention all was First priority, so it drove him to his knees. Paul says to Timothy in this first verse, all kinds of prayers are to occur. And he lists some of them. Prayers, just this word general. It's a list word, word prayers generally. It's just a, a general term for talking with and listening to God, where our faith in God is deepened. And as we spend time with him in prayer, that we come out with our intimacy with God strengthened. And then uses the phrases of requests and supplications, which refers to those parts of prayer where we're asking God. We're beseeching God for this, and we're asking God to intervene in this and to do that. All of that, hopefully, according to 1 John 5, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears and moves. So we're praying, making requests, supplication according to Scripture. And listen, you and I may not always know how to pray and what to pray for, but God's word will always lead us to have clarity regarding prayer. We can always pray the scriptures. Anytime we pray the scriptures, we know we, know we can have confidence that we're praying according to his will. So we pray, making supplication, requests, just whatever is on our heart, whatever is on our mind, bringing all of our concerns and our needs before God. You remember what Paul said to the Philippians? Don't be anxious about anything. Instead, what? Pray about everything. Just talking to the Lord throughout the day. Something, some concern, some anxiety, some worry. My spouse, my family, my, my job, my ministry, my finances, just whatever is on our heart, my health. We just lift it up to the Lord. And then he uses the word intercessions. 
praying for others, interceding for others. Nehemiah had a burden for his family and a burden for the people and the terrible spiritual and physical condition they were back in Jerusalem. And so he interceded and he prayed for others. And then Paul says, giving of thanks, taking the time with God, alone with God, just to say, God, I thank you. God, I love you. I'm just so grateful to you, God, for looking back for all that you've done, thanking God for your faithfulness, thanking you, God, for how you brought me through this and how you brought our family through this. And God, I'm just so thankful for the way that you're working when you're going through something and you can see God's hand, just to give him thanks. You remember in the book of Acts, as the early church got started, several thousand were saved. And in Acts chapter 2, it describes the characteristics of the church. And one of those characteristics says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. You know, if you go back and you look up that word devotion, they were devoted to. It conveys the idea they were inconvenienced by They were inconvenienced by the apostles' doctrine. They were inconvenienced by the breaking of bread. And they were inconvenienced by prayer. They were devoted to it, even if it was inconvenient. Devoted to prayer. Paul is urging Timothy to make the ministry of prayer a priority. And God is certainly, surely saying the same to us. Hillcrest, let's do this well. He is the source of power. God is the source of life. He is the one who changes and transforms. Let's do the work of prayer well. Then notice the scope of prayer. All kinds of prayer for who? All kinds of people. Look at verse 2. For leaders, for kings, for those who are in authority. For Paul as a citizen of the Roman Empire. You know what that literally meant? Kings, those in positions of authority, not just in the church, but in in the culture. Paul was telling Timothy, some of the persons that we need to be praying for in the Roman Empire are for the emperor Nero. Nero was the one who was responsible for keeping Paul under house arrest in Rome. He was the one responsible for freeing Paul, and then he was the one responsible for having Paul rearrested and eventually executed. Pray for Nero. Timothy. Pray for Herod. Pray for governors like Festus and Felix who had interrogated them and locked them up and held them and were wanting bribes from them. Corrupt people, evil people, sinful people. Pray for them. And for Timothy, praying for people in Ephesus at the, in the very city where he was pastoring this church. You remember, if you go back into the book of Acts, the people at Ephesus turned on Paul and they turned on Ephesus and hated them and tried to drive them out. They opposed them and threatened them. And Paul says, these are the people that you need to be praying for as well. Why pray for them? Verse two, he says, for peace, for freedom, for Christians to be able to lead quiet lives and lead godly and reverent lives. We don't, we don't really understand much about this in our culture because we as Christians are not persecuted here. Or we might be, we might experience a little soft persecution where if you take a stand for Christ, somebody might say, make a little negative comment towards you or might criticize you or make fun of you a little bit. But we don't really understand what 80% of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world experience on a daily basis regarding persecution. 
Paul is praying, saying we need to pray for freedom and that we can live godly and reverent lives. And just a, a good word for us regarding this text, we as citizens, Christian citizens in this country would be much better off, we would be much better off as God's people in the United States of America if instead of watching so much news about what was going on, we spent that same amount of time praying for the people that we're often criticized. In fact, that's what we're commanded to do. We need to be praying for our president and vice president and our congressmen and our senators and for our governor, Governor Tate, for our mayor, Tim Kent. We need to be praying for these brothers and sisters, whether they know Christ or not. The Bible says we need to be praying for them because their decisions affect much about how we live and how the gospel advances. There's a correlation, so pray for them. You remember Jesus said, my house shall be called, we sing about it, a house of prayer, right? My house shall be called a house of prayer for what? Finish it. For who? For the nations. A house of prayer for the nations. The reality is prayer is work. It demands discipline. Jesus said the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so what do we pray? Well, we use all forms of prayer. We pray for all people. And let me just give you a few suggestions to be a little more effective in your prayer life. Someone has referred to these as the three Ps. The three Ps to be more effective in prayer. Number one, pray for your prayer life. Pray for your prayer life. God, give me a greater desire to pray. Help me to be more disciplined to pray. God, help me to be more persistent, to have greater faith. And so just pray for our prayer lives. Second, have a plan. Have a plan for prayer. Do you have a set time when you pray? Do you try to pray? Do you have a method for praying? Do you keep a prayer journal? I have a prayer journal. And in that prayer journal, I have the name, my name. I'm at the top. Someone asked me a long time ago, Brother Charlie, is it selfish to pray for yourself? I said, I hope not. Jesus prayed for himself. He prayed for the, and I pray for myself all the time. My family's there, my relatives, my church family, church ministries. I have a list of unsaved people that I pray for regularly, missionaries, ministry. You can pray through your Sunday school class role. You can make lists. You can walk through this sanctuary. Occasionally I'll do that late at night. If I'm here by myself, I'm getting to know where many of you sit, and I can walk through here and sit through and picture you in my mind and pray for us as we worship on Sunday mornings. Walk through your Sunday school classroom. You could ask other people in your group, how can I pray for you? What are some things that I could remember to pray for you this week? Just pray. There's all kinds. But having a, having a plan for how you're going to pray. Third, participate in prayer with others. Pray with others. Actually, Actually pray. If someone says, hey, I need you to pray for me about this, then stop and pray right then with them. I, I broke my rule yesterday. I was at a wedding, and a brother from this church was sharing something with me, and he said, uh, I'd like for you to remember to pray for me, and because we were at the wedding and a lot of people around and we were going through the food line, I didn't pray. I broke my rule. Because always, someone asked me to pray, you just stop and pray with them right on the spot. I should have done it. People could have just gone around. 
they, they, they would have got through the food line, I'm certain, that if they, we would have blocked it up a little bit. Pray. What to pray for all people, all kinds of prayers. Why pray? Look at verses 2 and 4. Let me go there. Why pray? Four reasons. Number one, verse 2, because God's text says prayer is good. Why pray? Prayer is good. It promotes godliness. It enhances worship and reverence. He says, second, verse 3, prayer pleases God. It pleases God. Verses 1 and 2, third, it changes lives. And last, look at verse 4, it furthers salvation. Do you understand that he's saying it's the means for souls being saved through prayer? Paul is very clear with this regarding Timothy. He says, God desires what? All men to be saved. Look at verse 4. Actually, there's actually three, three places. He says in verse, chapter 2, verse 1, we're to pray for all men. Then in verse 4, we're to, God desires all men to be saved. Look at verse 6, talking about Christ Jesus who gave himself a ransom for all. All. Pray for all men. Pray for all men to be saved. And God desires for all to be saved. And Christ died for all. Died for all. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that what? Whosoever would might not perish but have everlasting life. 2 Peter 3.9. God is patient. God is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. 1 John 2, 2, Jesus is the propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. So it raises a good question. How can God desire for all to be saved and yet men still die in their sins? John chapter 3, verse 19 provides a pretty good answer. Jesus says, and this is the condemnation that light has come into this world and men love the darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. In other words, the point is not all are saved because man in his freedom rejects God and loves darkness. There are many people who reject Christ willingly because they would prefer to be, live in their sins. They, they love their sins. They, they love their deeds. They love the darkness. And I think the message that Paul is trying to get across to Timothy and to us is, Hillcrest, we can push back the darkness through prayer. We can push it back. We can pierce it through prayer, interceding, praying for the lost. The fact is that God is able to save men, but men are not able to come to him unless John 6, 44 occurs. Jesus said, unless this, no man come to the Father, unless the what? Spirit of God draws them to salvation. And so we pray for the power of the Spirit to draw, for the Holy Spirit to convict, to pierce the darkness, to push it back, bringing forth the twin gifts of repentance and faith. The text tells us what to pray. The text tells us why to pray. And finally, the text says how to pray. Look at verses 5 through 7. One of the observations of these verses, let me, let me read those again with you. Verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time for which 
I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in truth. Our prayers are offered to God through a mediator. Christ, one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. One who mediates on our behalf before the Father. One who is covering for us the Lord Jesus. I love 1 John 2. My little children, I write these things to you that you may not sin, but if anyone sins, we have an advocate. We have a mediator with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Mediator. Thank God for mediators. Thank God for the man Christ Jesus who is our mediator. We don't need to go through any other priest, any other person to have access to God. We can go directly to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Mediators. Several years ago when I first remember meeting Mindy and uh, we talked in a donut shop, I was kind of attracted to her and couldn't read her very well, wasn't sure if she was interested and so later on, we kind of saw each other here and there, and I still wasn't able to read her very well, whether she was really found me attractive or appealing or any kind of those things like that, you know. I wasn't sure. I couldn't read her. And so I found a mediator. <laughs> Some of you know what I'm talking about. And so I went to my sister and another girl named Cindy Grimes, and I said, hey, I want you to go talk to her. Start asking her some questions and see if she's interested in me. And so they, those mediators began to work, and, and they did what I asked, and the news was good. <laughs> and so because I had good news, I got a little bolder and showed up at her house and later called her and went out, and the rest is all history. Thank God for the mediators. Hebrews 4, 16. See, and then we have a great priest, a great priest, a great meteor, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God who has passed through the heavens. Let us hold fast to our profession of faith, for we do not have a God, a Savior, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one in all points who is tempted as we are yet without sin. Therefore, pray, therefore let us come before his throne of grace to find help and mercy in time of need, we have a mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can take advantage of being able to pray and God come before God's throne in prayer. The mediator, the man, the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ lets us know. He lets us know that God likes us, that God loves us. That God wants us to be close, to come to him and to have a relationship with a mediator lets us know that God wants us to call him Abba, Father, and to spend eternity with him. Hillcrest, let's be faithful in prayer. Let's be faithful in prayer, to pray for ourselves, to pray for our families. Dads, to cover your wife, to cover your kids in prayer. Sunday school teachers and leaders and children's ministry leaders to be faithful to pray. If we don't do it, the, the best thing we could ever do, more than ever any kind of act of service, is to be faithful to pray. 
to pray for those who are lost, to pray for those who are in sin, for them to come to their senses, for the Holy Spirit to draw them, for the Holy Spirit to convict them of sin and righteousness and of the, of the great judgment, the position they are in with God, to speak to them, for God to show them their goodness, for God to help them to see that he's faithful and he's kind and he's wise and his word is true. And so we pray, we pray for one another, we pray for people. We'll pray, I believe that God's best, his very best is to come. His very, the very best that God has is yet to come for us individually and for us collectively as Hillcrest Baptist Church. Amen? Let's be faithful in prayer. Make it a priority. I'm going to ask Don to come and, and just for a few moments, I'm going to invite you to, uh, to spend some time in prayer. You can come forward. You can remain where you are. But let's take a few moments and just, and just to pray together however God might be leading you this morning.